Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning. You're much more awake now. I mean, I just heard a ton of ruckus. Uh, We're going to be in the gospel this morning of Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, please turn there or scroll there or tap there. If you need a Bible, BT and Mark here are here to assist you with a Bible. Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Don't ever let it be said we don't read our Bibles. Uh, My name's John, or Esh. Um, I'm trying to debate whether or not to talk about... I want to mention and at least acknowledge that there was a terrible tragedy in Oregon this last week. Uh, For those of you that have seen the news or not... Um, at a community college there uh, where a young man took the lives of a number of students and then took his own life. Uh, It just seemed like we got to talk about this kind of stuff um, that happens. Because what I heard was some of these people were killed for their religious beliefs that if they had said that they were a Christian, he shot them in the head. Uh, Now, this is already PG-13, I'm sorry. Uh, this is uh, a terrible, terrible tragedy, and what it does is it, it, generally it, it creates tremendous sadness and anger within us, right? We, we, we hear about these things and we, we mourn for those people, uh, for their families, and then we are angry that there's people like this out there that do these sorts of things, uh, so I want I to just to hold that in your head uh, as we go through this morning. By the way, Luke 15, I was reading it this week, and I, actually not this week, but a couple weeks ago, and I had just some new thoughts on this passage of Scripture, and I was like, this is really cool. I think it's new. And then I uh, found this guy, Robert Capon, and he had the thoughts a long time ago, and uh, he wrote them down, and they're a lot more eloquent than me. <laughs> Uh, so, good old Bobby Caps here, uh, Robert Capon, he, uh, if you're interested, I don't, I, don't like, I don't want you to think that I come up with all this stuff on my own. <laughs> this is, there's, there's resources. So, I like to empower you guys to get into this stuff too. Uh, the Bible, Luke chapter 15. Um, last week, Boog talked about forgiveness. You guys remember this? And he challenged some of us uh, to seek out those that either we think we need to forgive or they haven't forgiven us uh, to make a call. Did any of you make some bold calls this week? You don't have to raise your hands, but just think think through that. Uh, To make things right. Um, The Apostle Paul, he writes in his letter to the church in Rome in here, in in Romans 12, 18, he says, if it is possible, as, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Uh, so I hope many of you made those bold calls this last week. And uh, 
if you're still living with that one relationship that's out of place, don't hesitate. Bring peace. Uh, my friend shared a great thought the other day. He said this. And again, you have these note cards, and there's just going to be all kinds of gold coming out of here. I'm <laughs> 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 just kidding. Uh, but you can write down what my friend said. Uh, if you're waiting around, if you are waiting around for someone to do something so you'll forgive them, you are allowing them to control your joy. If you're waiting around for someone to do something so you'll forgive them, you're allowing them to control your joy. And I just want you to hold that in your minds. We're going to come back to that later, but I want to make a note of it. And Boog talked about relational stress, relationship stress. And I don't know if there could be, you know, he said, I don't know if there could be a good relationship between God and I. And I find this is one of the biggest problems that we deal with. And this morning we're going to talk about that relationship between you and God. Even if you didn't know you had one, (laughs) we're going to be talking about this relationship that you didn't even know you had. So, I want to read Luke 15, and then I want to make some observations about what this means for our relationship between God and ourselves, even if you didn't know you had one. And then I want to give you some practical ways to respond to this, okay? So let's just read this chapter of Luke together. It's going to take a few minutes. It's literally, it could probably fit on one page. It's a store, it's stories. We got a lot of things working in our favor here. So, Hang in there for story time. I'm going to read it through. I'm going to read it through once, and then I want to talk about how this chapter reveals something about your relationship with God, even if you didn't know you had one. Luke 15, verse 1. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered or wasted his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took the place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get, get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Now, the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Oh, so good. Three stories, right? We've got three stories here. We have a story about a lost sheep and a shepherd. We have a story about a lost coin and a woman. And then we have a story about some lost sons and a father. And let me just rephrase that because... If you've heard these stories before, maybe even in your Bible it says the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of, of the prodigal son, something like that. I want to rephrase this and say that this, we have a story about a shepherd, we have a story about a woman, and we have a story about a father, okay? Each story ends with rejoicing, a party. They call together their neighbors and friends, and they throw a big old rager. Right? And you see this in a lot of parables that Jesus tells. A lot of Jesus' stories are about like a feast or a party or a celebration, right? Uh, if you don't know this, just read the, the, the scriptures and you'll see that in his, in his stories. And these parties are generally for certain kinds of people. In most of the stories, it's for the lame, the sick, the outcast. He throws a big feast and all the people you think should be there don't show up. And he goes and sends out for destitute people, lost people, dead people, sick people. These are the kinds of people that end up at the party. So, when I look at this story, and like I was looking at it two weeks ago, when I was sitting in Washington, D.C. with a bunch of friends, and I'm listening to uh, a woman, she's a major general, and she's reading this passage and asking, what do you think about this? to a group of us, and I'm thinking, I've never seen this before really like this. But Bobby Capps here, Robert Capon, he'd seen it. 
Let's just start in verse 1. You have your your Bible? You can read this verse with me. 1 and 2. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. All of them. What? (laughs) This is real. This is like this happened. Tax collectors are traitors. They've betrayed their own people. They're collecting taxes for the oppressing regime. Okay? The sinners, whatever. They're just people... They just sin. It's all good. (laughs) These are the people, all of them, come to hear Jesus. What? Now, I know a lot of you in here, you're not all traitors and scumbags. But these are the kinds of people, they were wanting to get around Jesus and hear what he had to say. All of them. Because he had what? Good news. He had good news. And the scribes and the Pharisees, all the religious people are, you know, grumbling, grumble, grumble, grumble. Look at this guy. He's with all the scumbags and traitors. He's eating dinner with them. He's sharing his life with them. We've talked about when you share a meal, you share your life. You give of your life to earn money, to get food, and you give that food to others. That's giving your life away. And he tells these parables. This is his audience. Now, in the first parable, we can consider that sheep that wanders off dead for all intents and purposes, right? To that shepherd, it's as good as dead. It's not producing anything for him. That sheep might as well not exist. It's dead. Okay? In the second story, we could consider the lost coin a dead asset, right? If you have like 100 bucks and it's hidden somewhere and you don't know where, that might as well just be a dead asset. You can't, you can't get to it. You can't use it. It's not good for anything. Dead. And we'll call the young son who like blew his inheritance on wild living, throwing a bunch of ragers, we'll call him a deadbeat. Okay? This guy's a deadbeat. Uh, so these are parables of lostness and deadness. Okay? That's totally, a, those are words. Lostness and deadness. Uh, in the first two bar- parables, they end with this celebration and this statement about rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repenting. Uh, that word repent, it, you, you almost can't say it with like the so- without the southern twin, like repent. You've got to repent, you know. Uh, you just hear that, right? Like immediately you feel like, I'm a terrible person. Uh, repent, it, it's this word metanoia in the Greek. It's metanoin in this, in this to think is uh, to think after. Meta is after. Knowing is, is, to, is to think. So it's, it's more like to change your mind, to change your heart about your sin. But let's just leave the word stuff out of there for a moment, okay? Because let's just look at how it's written to us. Neither the lost coin nor the lost sheep was capable of any repentance. Would you agree? The entire cause of the recovery operation of, in these stories of, of the shepherd and the woman is it's their determination to find what is lost. It has nothing to do with the coin going, you know, I've really been a terrible coin hiding here under your sock. Uh, it's nothing about the sheep going, you know, I've really just strayed away from all my friends and I think it's time to head back. It has nothing to do with the sheep or the coin. They don't do anything except hang around in their lostness, okay, in their deadness. So in the first two parables, what, if, if we are the sheep or the coin that God is after, 
What commends us to the grace of God? It's not our goodness or our moral fortitude or our decision to change our minds about how we live our lives. But it's our sinfulness, our lostness, our deadness that commends us to the grace of God. See, here's the thing. And I'm going to say this. This is, this is, for me, this is, I need to hear this. If you're living with an understanding of God as a being who only blesses you once you've achieved some high moral standard, once you've realized the error of your ways and changed your mind, then you're living with a skewed understanding of how God works and what his character is like. If you live with an understanding of God that says in your head, if I just try harder to be a good person and really achieve some, you know, level of moral and spiritual improvement, then God will forgive me. If you think God's forgiveness and relentless love for you depends on you somehow leaving your sin behind you, having a change of heart, then you are dead wrong. It goes against these parables. It goes against even the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Rome, Romans 5.8. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only ticket to get into the celebration here, your only admission pass here, is to be lost or dead. Got any lost or dead people in here? In Jesus' parables, it's the lost and the dead that are in on the festivities. They're inside the party. Reread the parables if you don't believe me. And, and in, in none of these parables, in none of these stories that we're talking about this morning, is there anything except the will of God that is portrayed as necessary to enter into the party? To enter into the new life of joy. Being lost, being dead, being repentant, those aren't redemptive qualities. None of that earns it. It's just God's grace. Just his kindness. It's his relentless searching. His determination to come after you. Hiding under that sock. Wandering away from your friends. None of it. There's not a single word in these stories about rewarding what we think should be rewarded or correcting what we think should be corrected or improving what we think should be improved. What you see in these parables is just grace, the saving determination of the shepherd, the woman, and the father to raise what was dead. So let's look at that last parable. To me, it's scandalous. The prodigal son, totally misnamed, right? Totally misnamed. These are not stories about a sheep a coin, or a son. And as long as you focus and approach these stories and we focus on the human figure first, oh, the lost coin, start with the human. Let's start with the lost sheep, let's start with the humans. Oh, the prodigal son, let's start with the human. You're going to make it about yourself and something you do. And it's not about what you do. Not at all. It's about the kind of God we're talking about here. Jesus is telling these stories to reveal the kind of God that wants to draw near to you, that is after you, relentlessly pursuing you, moving towards you in love at all times, just trying to find you so we can throw a big old rager in your honor. 
He desperately wants you to know how God feels about you. So, some points to notice in the story about the relentlessly loving father. The all-compassionate father. By the way, just a, a little note beforehand. Everyone in this parable is going to die, okay? Who dies first? Anyone? The dad dies first, okay? So let's, let's just look. First of all, in the ancient Near East, this, this story would just blow their minds. This story makes no sense whatsoever. Even in the modern East, it, Middle East, it would not make sense. My friend uh, Carl, he works with Muslims and uh, a lot of like kind of radicals in the Middle East trying to bring the name of Jesus to them. And he's telling, he, he has this story where he tells this story to uh, a leader, uh, well actually to a whole news crew for this Hezbollah uh, TV station. And he hits him with this question, so Carl, tell us why you hate Israel and love, love Islam. And he's like, he's like, I know enough about Jesus to know that he doesn't answer questions like that. <laughs> it's like a lose-lose. I don't hate Israel. I don't love Hezbollah. Or he says, why you hate Israel and love Hezbollah? And I don't love the Hezbollah thing, and I, I don't hate Israel. But I'm going to right, he's like, it reminds me of a story. And he tells this story. <laughs> and he talks first about, so the younger son and says, hey, dad, I want my share of the inheritance. The younger son. Okay, in the Middle East, if you know nothing about the Middle East, the younger son, sorry you were born second, dude. The older son's getting all the goods. Okay, the younger son and says, Dad, essentially I want you to put your will into effect, which says just legally die. So there goes the dad. Dad commits suicide right at the beginning and divides his inheritance, his property. That word for property also could mean essence or being, which is kind of cool. Divides his property, gives son probably money, and the older son, the younger son probably money because he goes and spends that. The older son, he probably just gives him the farm. Like, everything's yours now. This whole place, the house, all of it's yours. I, the rest of it went to your, your brother. Okay? The younger son, this is radical. No, 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 we don't do this. So the younger son goes and blows it, and he's hanging out with pigs, okay? Muslims, they don't hang out, they don't do pigs. Like, Jews don't do pigs, Muslims don't do pigs. So here, now he's, he's, we've got a younger son, that's not happening, pigs in the story, you know, people in the Middle East that are hearing the story are going, what is this? This is, you know, and it, what Carl says when he's being interviewed by this guy, uh, the cameraman, he goes like this, <laughs> and he goes back, and, and, and when he gets to the pigs part, he goes, and then he just stays there the whole rest of the time. Who knows if, like, he's like, I don't even know if the camera was on me. And the guy that was holding the mic is like, <laughs> like, he can't, they can't fathom it. They can't get his mind around this story. Like, what? No. This, no. So anyway, I just love that, that piece of the story. Just it, our minds, because we live in America, we just have no idea. We don't, we don't know. Uh, but he's amongst the pigs. And now almost all preachers will make this story about the son's repentance, the younger son's repentance, right? Well, then he, he comes to his senses. Let's just remember where his senses got him in the first place, okay? Right? He comes to his senses, and what does he say? The first thing. Well, I'll just, I'll just read it here. Huh. 
He says this. Oh, man. How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? That's his repentance. (laughs) Right? If you've heard this story, you've heard it before about, you know, the son, he repents, he feels bad, he goes back to the father, and the father, see, when you go back to the father, he runs out and he greets you and blah, blah, blah. This is not repentance, my friends. Just, let's just listen to it. But here I am dying of hunger. Here's what I'll do. I'll get up and go to my father and this is what I'll say. I've sinned against you, against heaven, check. Yes, that's right. You've, and before you, yes, that's right. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, that's right. You're pretty much dead. Everyone in the village here would, would probably have killed this guy if they saw him coming, okay? All. He has shamed his family, his father, the whole community. We don't, we don't live in a shame-based community the way they do where you, when you really shame someone, they just they off you, they kill you. That is justice. The right thing to do is to kill the son. That's, that's the right thing. You kill that younger son. Justice served, right? We don't get that in our culture, but in their culture, that's how it would work. Which sort of makes me think that's why the father ran to him. I was like, oh no. <laughs> They're going to kill him. <laughs> I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. All those are right. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Nope. Sorry. That's his scheme. It's not going to work. Why? Because he's a dead son. He cannot become like a hired servant and try and earn his way back into the good graces of his dad. He's dead. It's not going to work. But he's desperate. Can you see this? This isn't repentance. The father's sitting on the porch in his son's now rocking chair, on his son's now farm, okay, his older son, and he's looking out and he sees his younger son and he gets up and he runs. And again, the cameraman's like, because a patriarch in this, he doesn't like pick up his robes and start running. A patriarch doesn't run. They just don't. They're, be, they're way, way above that. This is like, the, what, from what I hear from my friends that, that do work in the Middle East, this is one of the most shocking parts of the parable. He gets up and starts running to his son. And what does he do? Before the son can confess, right, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. He, he restores him right away. Now, the ancient Near East people are saying, oh, we, we know why he's running. He's running out there to kill him right away. That's what they're thinking. And then they're like, then they see that he, oh, this is a smart dad. He's going to bring him back to the village and kill him in front of everyone. That's what he's going to do. He's tricky. Then the son launches into his thing. I've sinned against you, against heaven, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't, even, he can't even get to that last part about being a hired hand. No, that's not going to work. And the father says, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on the finger. Sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He raises him to life. How much does he say to this younger son in this whole parable? Oh, not a single word. You ever think about that? He doesn't say a single word to his son in this parable. Everything he says is this love toward his son. These actions of love toward his son. 
I love that. Here's the point of this part. Confession isn't something you do to earn forgiveness. Okay? It's something you do to celebrate the forgiveness you already had. You already received it for nothing. This wasteful prodigal son can't earn forgiveness. He's a dead son. The father raises him to life. So, now it's party time, right? Festivities, fatted calf, there's veal going around, some good wine, things like that. Party's in full swing. Older brother, uh, Mr. Landowner, Mr. Responsibility, Mr. Bean Counter, Mr. Mr. Whining, Mr. It Isn't Fair, Mr. Bookkeeper, okay? Mr. I Need Justice. He comes in, what's going on, right? One of his servants says, oh, you know, your brother, he's come back, and your dad, he threw a party because he has his son back safe and sound. And the brother's like, I'm not going in there. For our, for our stories, the brother's the righteous one. He's the good guy. He's, you know, he did all the things right, and he's not in the party. It's the dead son that's in the party. Party's in full swing, and this, the older son's like, what the what? <laughs> you never did anything like this for me. And look at, look at this. I told you everybody's going to die. Here's where the, the older brother goes. The younger son was dead. The dad's dead at the beginning. Then he says in verse 30, but when this son of yours, boom, breaks the relationship, I'm dead to you now too. Okay? We're all dead. This son of yours, he's in his hell outside the party, his hell of bookkeeping, his hell of weighing the scales right, putting things back to the way, improving the improvable, correcting the correctable, rewarding the rewardable. He's in that hell. If I just do this, if I just climb one more step of moral fortitude, then I'll get what I deserve. That's the hell he's living in. A lot of us live in that hell. We teach our kids to live in that hell. You do the right thing, I'll give you something. Do the right thing, I'll give you something. Now, we're trying to train them to do right things, and that's not bad. But you can see how it's so hard to get out of that way of thinking, right? Do this, and you'll get what you deserve. I know a lot of people who do the right thing and don't get what they deserve, right? He's in his hell, and what the father does, this is just beautiful, he goes out to him in his hell. He goes out to him and pleads with him. And let's call the uh, older son uh, Bert. Bert's in his hell of bookkeeping and justice and weighing the scales right. And, uh, and he's like, look, Bert, your brother was dead and now he's alive again, right? Essentially like, come on, let's, let's go, go in there, kiss your brother, have a drink. Let's do this. Freeze frame. That's it. That's, that's, that's the last picture. Freeze frame. We had to celebrate your brother who was dead is now alive. He was lost and he's been found. Freeze frame. They're standing there frozen in this 
in this conversation and behind them, there's veal being moved around and drinks and people laughing and giving hugs, party going on. Sound goes dead and that's it. The father and the elder brother stuck there for 2,000 years. This is how that parable has ended. They're still stuck there. The father with the older brother in hell and the party's going on. He's the image of Jesus Christ descending into hell. Psalm 139, if I go down to hell, you're there also. (laughs) Where can I flee from your presence? God is there with us. There is no point, no point at which the shepherd who followed the sheep, the lost sheep will stop following all of the damned, all of the cursed. There's no point at which he will stop ripping up the house to find that coin. He will always seek the lost, and he will always raise the dead. That's good news, isn't it? That's great news. If you agree that this older son is frozen in time with God at his side, just look at what the father, uh, Father's words are for him. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. This is why Jesus starts his like, great sermon on the mount with this announcement. Hey, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you have no ounce of spiritual worth in you, God is for you. And what is his is yours. It's not about one more thing you have to do to earn That's just more of the old. Live like this and you'll get this. More of the law. If you have no ounce of spiritual worth in you, the kingdom of God is for you. It's yours. The party is being thrown for you. So what does this mean? No matter where you are, God wants to raise you from the dead. He wants to put a nice Tiffany's ring on your finger, brand new pair of rainbows, good old robe from the montage. He spares no expense. He wants to raise you from the dead, and he is relentless in his love for you. He is determined to find you. And you are always with him. And everything he has is yours. That's a relationship you may not even have known about. You may be in your own hell. Let's get real practical. I don't care if you're broke, addicted, divorced, had an abortion, murdered someone, ruined your life, abused your kids, abused yourself, abused someone else in your family, abused someone else. His forgiveness is already Yours. This young man who shot these people, he will never stop pursuing someone like that. Never. We don't like that. 
That's scandalous. We want justice. We want to be like the older brother. Give him what he deserves. We don't like that. But for, for you, it's, it's having the mind to know we're all like that younger brother who blew it, and we are all like the older brother who's been trying to do the right thing. We're both. And God will run to us and look for us and restore us and raise us from the dead, and he will stand with us in hell repeating over and over until we maybe choose to just say, okay, I acknowledge I'm dead. Raise me to life. Raise me to life. You can choose to live, to join the party, to go in. Live the way that he revealed. A life of joy, centeredness, joyfulness, love. You get to just receive what is already yours. So I said at the beginning, that little quote my friend said, if you are waiting around for someone to do something so you'll forgive them, you are allowing them to control your joy. Who controls the Father's joy? No one. And he's not waiting around for you to do anything. He's after you. Right now, he's moving toward you. Right now, from all directions trying to tear this house apart to find you. And all you have to do is receive it. Let him take you into the party. Let him throw you over his shoulders, take you back, and throw a big rager in your honor. (laughs) Let him put the Tiffany's ring, the rainbows, and the montage robe on you and throw a big party in your honor. It's your lostness, your deadness. That's your ticket. It's his grace that makes any of it possible. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these great words this morning. Lord, you told great stories. Crazy stories, but great stories. Man, I, I like it and I don't like it. I like it because I need it and I don't like it because I'm so used to justice. And that's what I, I want. So many, so many times, Lord, help me to recognize my lostness and my deadness. God, I, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in here that this is great news for them too, for anyone that they know. This is why all the scumbags and traitors were coming to hear what you had to say. They didn't have to do anything. They were already lost. They, were just, they just needed to be found. And they didn't even know someone was looking for them. So, Jesus, some of us in here, we didn't know you were after us. We didn't know that you wanted to throw a big old party. And I, Lord, I pray that we would hear your words. That we were dead and now we're alive again. Lord, for those of us that have been thinking we could earn it and whining and complaining about not getting our share, may we remember that you enter into that hell and your words are 
you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's what you're saying to us. I pray that we could hear that and come join the party. Give us ears to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.